are about to be witness to an examination. Several of you have decided to try your skills against the participants. But be you player or spectator, be prepared. For you have just been invited to an inquisition. everybody welcome to a niche podcast but the one thing i know something about game shows i suppose i'm your host jordan haas welcome to a special new format edition of game shows i suppose uh this next few episodes or till i am sick of this will be devoted to four shows or so uh the theme of all of these shows are going to be game show network originals the reason being is when I looked back at the archive of game shows, I suppose, I barely glanced at Game Show Network, the iconic channel that really shaped what became me loving a lot of game shows. Personally, when it came to game show reruns, there really wasn't a place. It was G- it was like USA Network in the early 90s, and sometimes daytime and syndicated people would do game shows, but most of the time it wouldn't exist. But what you notice is it'd be places like the Family Channel would try their hands at game show repeats before ultimately the development of the GSN, the Game Show Network. So with these next few episodes, we'll be talking about some Game Show Network originals. Some I like, some I don't like. And a lot of these I've recorded at various times in the last few weeks. So sorry for the quality dipping in and out. Uh, The first one I want to talk about is one of the classic game shows. This is Inquisition. For many people, when they think of Game Show Network original, it's always in different generations of when they first got Game Show Network. Currently, you have things like Switch. You have things like Common Knowledge, or America Says, or Split Second, or People Puzzler. For other generations, it's things like Idiot Test, or the first iteration of The Chase. Others, it would be something like, uh, maybe something like Camouflage, or something like uh, National Lampoon's Funny Money, or even something like Whammy, or Cram, or Trivia Track in Super Decades that started out in the beginning of the Game Show Network era. A lot of people have their one or so game shows that they're just really invested in, and that's what got them hooked on Game Show Network when it comes to the original series. Because at the time, Game Show Network, sure, they had reruns of game shows, and honestly, without those reruns of game shows, I don't think game shows would have ever really existed. But... It's these Game Show Network originals that have always hooked people back in, because even though these are repeat game shows, by having new shows always show up, it brought new viewers. The one that I first saw when it came to a Game Show Network original was Faux Paws. And that's not really a game show. That's just looking at old game shows and trying to do MST3K. Frank Nicotero was a writer. But when it came to a game show game show... That would be the very scary Inquisition. Inquisition was a game show hosted by the Inquisitor, who we never see. We never know, but you just hear his voice. Hello and welcome to an Inquisition. And the game show is very, very straightforward. I think they filmed this on the green screen but it looks like they were in an airplane hangar, which I always thought was really cool. 
The game show set was very simplistic. Four podiums with a little lantern, the classic little egg crate style display. The Inquisitor is sitting in this big old chair. He has this big book that looks like the Book of the Dead, and he flips an hourglass, which is supposed to represent a 30-minute hourglass, uh, and also all of it's supposed to represent life and death, essentially. But there's never any real murder going on in this show, but it's supposed to seem like a, a case of life and death and you are at the gates of heaven and you are being passed judgment based on trivia questions. The catch, and this is what made Inquisition very interesting, was while the game was being played on the screen, which has already been pre-taped because it's Inquisition and it's a game show, you had to tape multiple episodes at a time, that's how game shows make their money real quick. There was also an interactive game that was being played in real time. So while you were watching Inquisition, the game show, on this very ticker tape, you would see four contestants be playing the game as well, most likely via phone or through the internet. I never really understood what. So when the contestants play Inquisition, there are four of them, they don't buzz in, they don't ring in, there's no passes or plays. It's essentially just a nonstop quiz. What happens is the Inquisitor reads a question and it's a multiple choice. It's always, always three possible answers. One, answer choice one, B, answer choice two, or C, none of the above. So for instance, it would be something like, um, let's just throw a quick question your way. Uh, the letter H. And the periodic table is represented by A, hydrogen, B, helium, C, none of the above. And then you would have 10 seconds to answer. So it's a quick fire quiz. The answer is A, helium, A, hydrogen. Oh, sorry, Miss Blank. You said helium. <laughs> When the time runs out at the end of a round, whoever had the lowest score, which when I think there's usually like 10 or so questions, means that somebody who scored very low, three or four, would end up being the one losing the round. Whoever was the one that lost the round, because it goes from four to three to two to one champion, would have to end up taking the walk of shame before Weakest Link ever did the walk of shame. But their walk of shame is a little different than the walk of shame on Weakest Link. What they had to do was they had to step back from their podium, turn their head so their back is basically facing the camera, and then a fade to white effect shows up, and then featuring this like struck by lightning gunshot noise, which you assume means that they just died. <laughs> And then what happens is then they're faded away from the game. So we assume they disappeared or blew up or something. And then you go to see a, like a crow or you see like a swinging pendulum. And then you have this creepy announcer voice going, one contestant's down. Find out who's going to be next on when they face the Inquisition. We go into round two. The scores are wiped clean. There's no carryover of points, which I think is very delightful. When they go into round two, 
Nothing changes. It's just the same game, but three players. And now once again, more questions. You've Got Mail starred which comedic actor? One, Tom Hanks. B, Tom Cruise. C, none of the above. And the con and basically the Inquisitor would get into this more aggressive style of hosting, reading the questions. Sometimes he would scream if everyone gets it wrong. No, God, no, none of you know anything. And just get into this whole anti-host thing before that really became a thing. When it be when because this was the '90s, because this was a game show from the '90s, Inquisition. Anti-90s was all over the place. Or anti-heroes of your Deadpools and your, your Venoms. You had a lot of it's good to be bad with the NWO and DX in wrestling. When it came to hosting, that sarcastic negative host would show up later on in the 90s. Definitely showing up in the 2000s. But the only time I ever really got to see that sarcastic asshole kind of host was in the You Don't Know Jack video games as a rib. But on Inquisition, the Inquisitor is basically an asshole. He is a mean guy who sounds like a guy who has better things to do with his time, but he's basically passing judgment on life or death. In the event of a tie, when it comes time for the ringing of the bell, which means the end of the round, if there is a tie for last place, one final question will be asked. And if they don't get it right, it goes, keeps going until one ends up being, of course, the one that goes home. When we end up in the final round, you guessed it, it's just two players and they play the same fucking game. Nothing changes like in round one. <clears throat> These questions go really, really fast. So when they keep going, uh, no, no, it's anybody. Oh, let me check the category right now. Uh, the question was scored. The losing player turned around, walk away, faded to white. Uh, yeah. All right. And then if it was a tie, it would keep going. Okay, so when it goes to the final round with two players, it's the same thing. More questions are asked. According to the wiki page, it's 20 to 25 multiple choice questions. I always thought it was like 10. But that's still, that's really a lot of questions. So when it comes to things like the chase and the weakest link, that's an onslaught of questions, which makes this a very smart idea. <clears throat> So in the final round, uh, whoever loses round three, the host basically tells them, you have failed, and then they have to leave. Um, when it comes to the last player standing after the last explosion, gunshot, whatever you want to call it, one player is left standing, and do you have anything left to say? One sentence like, yeah, I had, I had good. Honestly, I think they were trying to have something like they can backtalk the Inquisitor or say something like, yeah, I did it. But these were very boring nerds. So they just kind of went, yeah, I had fun today. Fun it is. Collect your papers and get out of here. Um, 
And then uh, they would collect their papers, which was the cash price. Basically, it was a folder. And then I guess that folder was maybe like a check for, for money. Because from what I remember, from what I remember, uh, it was $250 in season one. And in season two, just 500 bucks. So imagine a game show this cheap where the grand prize at the end of the show was a guaranteed $500. We're looking at things like Chop these days where there's a guaranteed $10,000 payout. We're looking at GSN Originals now where it's a thousand bucks. Here was 500 bucks guaranteed. Now, according to Wiki, the Inquisitor never showed his face on the show's three year run. Even though he has a gray beard, as of 2023, his identity still remains unknown because of stipulations in his contract, which was a fun fact I remember. He's, he never got to show the reveal of what his name is. However, it's speculated that the Inquisitor has been character actor William H. Bassett, which would actually make kind of sense because he did have the big beard, and if you ever hear his voice, it does sound like the Inquisitor. And the only reason I could think that's probably really right with the wiki page is he's a voice actor. Uh, I remember his voice in uh, Metal Gear Solid. I believe he plays like the president of the United States. Don't worry. We've prepared a convincing cover story. We'll simply say that the terrorists exploded a nuclear device. Smart. And in Fallout 3 as Elder Owen Lyons. They brutally murdered innocent scientists, including James. He went there to revive the project and died for his efforts. They will answer for their crimes. I haven't worked so hard just to sit idly by and watch the Enclave undo what little we've accomplished here. A tiger is featured in the comic strip A, Shoe, B, Calvin and Hobbes, C, none of the above. B, Calvin and Hobbes, the island of Oahu. One of the remarkable things about Inquisition is much like wants to be a millionaire at the time, and in many ways weak as Link and all these modern game shows, it always kind of had this background audio while the game was going on. So it really wasn't trying to bore the audience by having this cool industrial soundtrack. I think in terms of this game show, it's a very straightforward quiz. Answer as many questions as you can. Whoever is the lowest is out. The last one standing at the end of three rounds wins $500. Simple, straightforward quiz, and they put so many episodes on this. Uh, the weird thing is... And it lasted for three seasons. It never says on the wiki page how many episodes there were. And then I did some research in the game show wiki, and they never said how many episodes they were. However, uh, I do want to give a quick shout out, though. This is a game show uh, that was created by Sandy Stewart Television, as in Sandy Stewart the son of legendary game show producer Bob Stewart. If you don't know who Bob Stewart is, oh God, you're, you're, we're going to have to be here for a while. Uh, Bob Stewart is essentially the guy who behind a lot of the great game shows that were the chalky, guessy games of the era. You might have seen him uh, be a part of The Price is Right, To Tell the Truth, Password, 
uh, Pyramid, Chain Reaction. He's this bright mind of game shows. And Sandy followed in the footsteps and came out with a lot of great game show concepts after the Bob Stewart Productions. Because it was uh, Barry, Sandy, and David for Basada Incorporated, which was the production house for Pyramid and 100 Grand and a lot of these obscure 80s game shows. It's very fun. So in the 90s, Sandy stepped out and helped create Inquisition for Game Show Network, which is kind of a sign of thumbs up following in the footsteps of Bob and coming up with fantastic game shows on their own, including Inquisition, a show that lasted three years. From what I've read... <clears throat> It started out in 1998 and ended in October 2001. Uh, So it was the last... I would say this was the good game show that was the precursor to what would be the GSN Renaissance era. After Inquisition ended for three years, we would end up seeing kind of in that later part the start of Whammy and Russian Roulette and Friend or Foe. But still, Inquisition is showing that with a simplized format great ambience you can come up with anything and that's what makes this really great game show we never really got ourselves a mastermind we never really got the chase 100 didn't really kick off but inquisition lasted three years on gsn and was one of those straightforward game show network originals that are is very fondly remembered even to this day Great review, Jordan. I did not listen to a single thing I said. That could have been the ending, for all I know. But that's just what happens when we talk about Inquisition. Uh, speaking of weird uh, multi-syllables with ends, uh, this next game show uh, was one that I kind of was a little fascinated by, but really had nothing to really talk about when it was always put up on the list for what to talk about. This is... Win tuition. Before there was Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader, there was Win Tuition, a game show in 2002 to April 2003. Fun fact, even though people fondly remember Win Tuition, it only lasted one season. It was hosted by the great Mark Summers from Double Dare and announced by Bernard Richardson and was executive produced by Henry Winkler. That's right, the Henry Winkler from Barry. So, when tuition is a precursor to Are You Smart in Fifth Grade? I already said that. They turn knowledge into college. That's the big catchphrase. And the ca- and the top prize for when tuition is $50,000 towards a college education. Man, can you imagine that? A college would have 50000 I think even in 2002, 2003, that barely is enough to cover the student loans, but I digress. It is a, it looks like a classroom, just like I was the fifth grader, uh, but it's more lactern style podiums rather than a desk with egg crate scores for everybody. Additionally, the backdrop, much like Wheel of Fortune, I think of the era, is a giant screen. It's supposed to look like a classroom but sometimes just a chalkboard. That's right. Are you smart in fifth grader? Would dick the chalkboard concept. The double doors, which enter what looks like a cafeteria, would always end up with a physical challenge of some kind by the co-host, gorgeous George Davidson. 
Mark Summers would sit by a lactern with podiums and questions, with a little TV monitor that's framed up that shows the grades and a category. The game is played in four rounds. Uh, the first, and each round is a different grade, so elementary school, middle school, high school, and then the bonus round. Because we're going through basically first grade through 12th grade. Got it? All right, so... Uh, three contestants start out with 500 points. Ding! And we give you questions. One per grade level. First grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. All of the question material is appropriate for that grade. So unlike Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader that just got stuck with first grade to fifth grade and had to write out evil questions, in this show, they got into sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and all the way to twelfth, going through the curriculum of... And this is true, the LAUSD. So that means they actually went through the Los Angeles Unified School District curriculum at the time when coming up with the questions. So, hey, it works. So, in first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, these are all questions. So in first grade, first grade spelling, second grade math, third grade uh, geography, fourth grade science, things like that. Just like what you'd be on fifth grader in later on so in second grade math what is this top thing on a fraction so you can say numerator or denominator uh and the contestant rings in if they are right they get a hundred points but be careful if they're wrong they lose a hundred points after five questions because one per round the first round's over we move on to round two this time, they are several correct answers, each of which is worth 250 points. Uh, but each player can only give one answer, starting with whoever buzzed in first. After which, any player who answered correctly could try to give answers to any or all remaining parts of the question. A miss at any time would cost a player nothing, but froze them out of the rest of the grade. Four correct answers were possible in six and seven, seven in round eight in the eighth grade. After all three grades have been played, the lowest scoring player was expelled from the game and received consolation prizes. A second place tie was broken via a buzz-in tiebreaker. So did you get all that? Basically just, hey, we are in sixth grade. Give me the four uh, characters in Alice's Adventures and Looking. Things like that. <clears throat> Obviously, it's a it's, it's a change in the question setting, but the fact that it's a list kind of question also is a detriment to the premise of going through each grade because now you're not writing questions that are meant to be a single question answer, which would make the show a little bit faster. You're making it now a list-based game show, and when you get with 6th, 7th, 8th grade curriculum, you're not really... It's, that's the little level where it, it's trying to get you warmed up for high school, it, that's not really time for the um, prep work. The, the Usually around the middle school era is when they try to really focus on extracurricular activities and try to focus on electives. So they try to focus you on getting into home economics, wood shop, art, uh, anything of that. So that way when you go into high school, you don't get so like freaked out in P.E., um, so it's a little weird. They still wrote questions, though, and that's fine. 
leaving two contestants, we go into high school. There is going to be questions left, one per grade. Whoever had the most points gets the ninth grade question. Each question is worth 500 points. Well, wrong answers will lose 500. That's a big swing. However, each player can cut class once during this round, forcing their opponent to answer the unwanted question. But of course, be careful because they could always be double cut class, in which case they either have to answer the question or take... No, they don't. It's just like one cut class. Basically, a pass to the other opponent has to answer. Uh, so, there's no buzzers this round, and it just is one question per round. So someone gets ninth grade, 10th grade goes to your opponent, 11th grade goes back to you, and then 12th grade goes back to you. So there's four questions, basically two each in control of each of the remaining two players. And then it leads to the big bullshit catch-up round, also known as this as Senior Year Showdown. In Senior Year Showdown, one single subject is chosen from two alternatives offered by Summers. Uh, so, hey, you got the most. Do you want to answer questions on history or science? Players continue to answer alternating questions for 500 points each, starting with the leader. As soon as a player missed a question, they were out of the round, and the trailing player would have a chance to catch up if the leader made a mistake first. The player with the most points after this important senior year showdown question wins a prize package and moves on to the bonus round. The other receives other consolations. Enjoy your Armatron watch. I'm guessing an Armatron watch. We move on to the final exam, the bonus round, which actually is a great name. If you're going for a school-based question, the final exam makes sense. $50,000 final exam. The contestant then actually sits in a desk, like an actual school desk. It's kind of tiny, the desk of destiny. And they have 60 seconds to answer 10 questions. The bullshit bonus round. 60 seconds to answer 10 questions. You get it right, you win. Uh, now, here's the problem, though. Unlike other bullshit get 10 rounds 60 seconds, this one is not the if you pass, we come back to it if there's still time. It, what happens is, and this is the important part, if you give run wrong answer, the round ends in that 60 seconds. If you pass, we can come back to it if there's time. But be wary of the clock. You just have 60 seconds. According to the rule of the wiki, which I don't think is right, players cannot return to past or miss questions. No, they cannot. I do think they can return to past questions. But each correct and... Oh, I guess maybe there's more than 10? I always thought there was just 10. Each correct answer gives them 250 bucks no matter what, but if they get 10 right in 60 seconds, they get $50,000 Tours of college education. All right. Neat. Uh, so that's when tuition. A couple of times the $50,000 was one. And when that happens, uh, confetti drops on the ceiling and a giant check for $50,000 arrives with, with Gorgeous George. The one thing that they forgot to put in the wiki is the fifth grade question 
is a uh, is I don't is it fifth grade or it's middle school? One of them is a uh, physical challenge type situation where like gorgeous George dresses up like the planets and then you have to put like Neptune where Neptune is. So that's kind of weird. They didn't include that to the questions, but sure. Um, when Tuition was a unique game show. I think it obviously was ahead of the curve because obviously Are You Smart in Fifth Grade would eat its lunch and become a long-running game show because answering easy questions. Uh, but at the same time, Mark Summers, being one of the best game show hosts ever, had a good enough hosting ability with this, but I don't think it really was his forte. He just got off History IQ. This is sort of just a show that's a show. I don't know if he really was committed to it. Personally speaking, and this is just me going out of just being a nitpicky asshole, Mark Summers' strong suit isn't asking trivia questions. Mark Summers' strong, like, strong? <laughs> his strong, no, his strength, is in human interaction. Mark Summers, much like Bob Barker before, is excellent at gathering the crowd, warming up audiences, chatting with them, being their friend. I think Mark is one of the best at it. The I can try and chat it up. I think that was one of the main reasons he wanted the Price is Right gig when, when uh, Bob Barker retired and Drew ultimately got that gig. He's perfect at that sort of situation. But he's typecasted as the Double Dare guy. Double Dare is kids, and kids is a kid's game show. This is when tuition. Don't you remember things from fourth grade? It, it just sort of doesn't really fit him, but it close. It is supposed to be comedic. It is supposed to be a funny game show, but they kind of had the tone that never really fit. I do think it worked. They tried to put the, uh, they tried to do the best world building they can. Vernon Richardson, when he was doing announcing the contestants, would do so over an intercom that sounded like a schoolyard. So everything felt right. The only problem with win tuition was simply put, I think it's just not a lot of winners and just the premise for writing questions would be bogged down. I, I don't know how to fix it unless you were going to do something like a change the chat like question air so it's just one question each of the 12 rounds and everybody plays. Is there a way to bring the show back? no because fifth grader would get compared to it and you already had games like that like child support so it just never it's not really the time anymore but i did enjoy it because again this was a game show network show with not a game show minimum they were trying to give away fifty thousand dollars in college education this wasn't a $5,000 show or a $10,000 show or Russian land 100,000. This is still 50 grand though, and that's still a heck of a lot of money for a cable channel and they barely paid it. So it is such a good game show. It has a clear different round format and it has a unique premise. Sometimes what works is just simply the overkill it has on the question writers. Sometimes it's just how much money gives away and budgetary reasons. Maybe they have to end it because we're fearful $50,000 could be given away six, seven times a season. 
and that's still $300,000. Oh, shit. But Mark was a good host. The questions were great. The theming was fantastic. The wind tuition is now in session. Do, 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 do. All of that is great. But sometimes a format just can't fully commit to itself. And sometimes it's a show that just fell by the wayside, but can still be sometimes fondly remembered. Personally speaking, I love the show. I just don't like those lists. I just wish they got rid of the list. Maybe if they did more of those gorgeous George-type challenges or something a little more silly, it would work. But obviously, fifth grader is already there. So there's really never going to be a chance to go into high school or middle school for that matter. But that's okay. So let's take a little break here. Uh, normally, I wanted to, when I create this format, get to some news. Um, because obviously, the news is existing. And I still want to create that uh, sort of discussion. Uh, but the writer strike is still going on. Uh, but... Uh, there is good news. Uh, there's a Loteria game show coming soon to CBS. I, I don't know much about it, but I, I'm just holding my breath on CBS with in-studio game shows because they haven't really done much. Also, Roku has a, uh, new, uh, show called Sushi Master with, uh, Morimoto the Iron Chef. So, that's exciting. Uh, there's a season two of Crime Scene Kitchen, even though I thought there was a season three. And uh, Gladiators is coming to BBC. You know, American Gladiators, or in case the BBC Gladiators, which is... I'm not going to say it's the much better one, but definitely has a much more fun theme song. Do you have the heart of a gladiator? Alright, so um, that is uh, it for the news. Um... By the time this episode airs, Succession has ended. I hope they made a game show reference, but most likely they did not. Uh, this next game show I would love to talk about is one that involves sleep, something I really need more of. Um, but because I'm filming this after midnight, who knows? This is Cram. 24 hours ago, four brave souls agreed to be locked up in the Hollywood and Highland Cramatorium. Comprised of weird study materials, they had all day and night to study them. No sleep, no privacy, no mercy. They better wake up. There's ten grand on the line. It's time to cram. Yeah, that's the cram intro, I guess. And that's kind of somewhat what the show is. So, uh, Cram is, uh, sometimes people really do enjoy this game show. It, it was created by Mark Cronin and Jonathan Goodson. Uh, so they are the kids behind the game shows that we know and love. And essentially, the whole premise, I think, is supposed to be, first I'm going to say what I assume it was meant to be, and then what it really was. I assume the premise of Cram was meant to be uh, a college-age game show. Like, the intentional casting call was supposed to be, like, dorm mates or college grad students or frat bros to play this game show based on what they should have been doing in college already, which is study. Now, the joke of the show is supposed to be that the study materials isn't really academia, but rather really irrelevant information, really classic, quote-unquote, trivia. 
such as the creation of a movie, to how something is made, all the way down to the biography of a famous celebrity. Uh, so what happens in with this show is there's two teams of two of a pre-existing relationship. Barely is it a college kid and their best friend, but rather roommates, essentially, because it's Los Angeles. But they still have to follow through the all-night study session concept of Cram. Now, in Cram, both teams get all of the study materials ahead of time, and they have, quote-unquote, 24 hours to study them. Uh, so, essentially, they just get to just stay up and read. The joke being that they get sleep-deprived, which means that they're a little cranky or a little sad or whatever it comes with sleep deprivation, which is, to me, I just kind of hate that concept. But, oh, well, it's that's fine. It's cram. Hey! Anyway, uh, so with, with, the four, with the four contestants, two teams of two, uh, at the end of a 3 a.m. coin toss, they did that's right, at 3 a.m. in the morning, uh, some poor PA flips a coin to determine who gets the, the toss-up at the first part of the game. Uh, we get to uh, see them go to the studio. Now, it, it is in the original quote-unquote crematorium was a storefront in the Hollywood and Highland Mall, which was unoccupied at the time. Because, if I remember correctly, I'm not, this is again just a I assume, not an I know, uh, the Hollywood and Highland Crematorium was still in development at the time because the Kodak Theater was the big occupying, but there really wasn't really tenants because still, Hollywood, gross, yuck, but you still have Hollywood. And I still have, I am almost positive was Sony Pictures Studios in Culver City that they filmed it in, where they get into the Scion, what is it? They get into a Scion, right? Was it a Scion or was it like a, it was one of those real weird small <laughs> cars and they drive over to the studio. Uh, and the studio set, but which by the way, I will say right now is my one of my favorite game show sets. As much as I am going to be basically saying how this show is just okay, Cram had one of the most unique game show sets that I have ever seen because it had this open door thing that slides up but goes upwards, which makes it very unique. There's this cool little giant monitor that actually shows screen on it instead of a projection monitor, which at the time was really impressive because it was a large TV screen. On the side is this weird, like, laboratory-looking thing where there's two hamster wheels, which I thought was very fun. And then on the far right side is essentially a flat that looks like a sitcom bedroom where you see two contestants, like, two large beds. And that's very cute as well. So there's lots of props, lots of set dressing, and then when it comes to the main game itself, which is the second half of the show... It's actually, no, it's actually Act 2. Act 3 is the the bullshit oh, bike game, and then Round 4 is the sleep game. Uh, <clears throat> round 2, there's these two different sides of the set, and they've basically made another version of the Shop 2 You Drop Challenge, but made it unique, uh, which I thought was really cool. So everything about this set, I love. And that's, I think, one of the coolest things about it. Secondarily... Uh, Cram's biggest strength was actually in its host, Graham Elwood. 
Uh, Graham Elwood was a stand-up comedian uh, who was basically working the Los Angeles stand-up comedy circuit in the 2000s and the 90s. And uh, his first hosting gig was, if I'm not mistaken, Strip Poker for USA. Now, he was not really a good host at the time. He was still playing up his the anti-host, uh, you gotta get rid of your pants kind of thing because it's strip poker. Um, but when he got to do cram, he got to become more reserved, more relaxed, and actually got to find his voice. Essentially, Graham Elwood was Ben Glebe before Ben Glebe showed up to do Idiot Test. Uh, both of which, hilarious comedians, and they're still working today. Please give them a shout out if you ever see them in your area. Uh, so... Once we get now, let's get to the actual quote unquote gameplay. I'm putting in air quotes gameplay because it's really is something. It's played with four rounds of play the rant round, or what everyone calls it, the hamster wheel. Round two is uh, the stunt. They call it the stunt, I call it the main game. Round three is the, uh, is the bike race, or whatever they want to call it. And then round four is the is the quiz, but uh, it is essentially just a, a sleep-deprived challenge. So in round one, the rant, the two teams end up on giant hamster wheels and must keep walking for the duration of the show. The show. Not, not just now, just like the entire show. So they have to keep walking. Why do they have to keep walking? Because they're sleep deprived, which means they already don't have energy anymore. So let's drain them of even more energy and waste their time. Additionally, because they are doing a movement, they can't do two things at the same time, which is the exact same premise of cram. Well, someone, well, there's a physical challenge taking place. There's also a mental physical challenge based on the trivia questions that were provided. So every round essentially is that doing a physical challenge and a mental quiz at the same time. That's the premise. Okay. So in round one rant, they're on the hamster wheels and they have to keep walking. And they have about 40 seconds to basically explain an article. Uh, there are eight keywords, kind of like talk about, about the article. And if they pause, if they do an um, if they go off topic, or if they do anything that basically is off course of saying the stuff, including repeating themselves, they lose five points. By default, they each get 100 points, and for each correct answer, I think they get 10 points? So it happens, and if they get all eight, I believe it's 100 points, which is interesting, but remember, five points for stalling or doing this, and I believe even if they do ums and uhs, that counts as a stall. Uh, so what happens is it's the People Magazine article about Tom Cruise. You have 40 seconds. Go now. Tom Cruise is an actor. Uh, he was in, uh, uh, uh he was in Top Gun. Ding. Also, he is a Scientologist. Ding. And, uh, he's currently, uh, Switch. Uh, Tom Cruise, what can you say about the guy? The risky business, ding! He was also, eh. it just keeps going from there. Then we repeat that same thing, plus the words you missed, and what were some of the judgment calls before going into the second team where they get the other article. If it was season one, there's a choice of three, 
But in this game, we'll assume it's just two. You got it? So then they just repeat the process. Here, your article is uh, the history of pizza in New York. Pizza is a delicious food. Uh, it started in Brooklyn, I think. Uh, uh, and then just keeps going from there. Then that's their scores for the first round. Then we go to round two, which I call the main game. They're calling the stunt round. Whoever was in the lead gets first dibs of the challenge. Now, in season one, they had to choose behind a dinner plate. Uh, held by Icy, the co-host. Icy uh, is a fabulous model who would also later show up in Chase. Not the Chase, as in Chase the Run for Money sci-fi channel show. Uh, so your choice of two dinner plates, and that would determine what challenge you get to play. Uh, alternatively, it would be a here's the stunt you want to play it or pass it to your opponent. And essentially, these challenges are a physic like a like a shop to you drop style challenge, like match the flag to the country, or match the face of a celebrity. Uh, to the movie they were in or match the uh, politician with what country they lead or uh, here's a number you have to make sure you build up to a number and put it on the wall somewhere you look into this big box of hats and put the matching hat with where it goes but there are decoys uh, like a physical mental challenge but while this physical mental challenge is taking place, oh boy, there's another quiz taking place and it also has something to do somewhat with what's going on. So because you chose the actors in the movies, I'll give you a tagline for a movie. You tell me what movie it is. So because you can't do two things at once, there's a physical activity and then now it's like you're doing three things at once, making things a little bit more difficult. Uh, so if you got all seven, you win a lot of points. Uh, and essentially, it's just sort of silly. Uh, it, like if you get the right hand gesture, movement, or whatever, it works. One of the ones I remember was you had to, it was memorize the football referee things and they had to actually do the poses. I know that was kind of fun. But uh, there's 12 questions. Each one of those is also worth 10 points. There's no penalties for wrong answers. You just don't get the points. Um, so really, essentially, it was more important to get those trivia questions than the physical challenge because the points were more important in the quiz. Uh, and then afterwards, you switch and go back in the hamster wheel, and the other team did the snuck stun. And then we go to the third round. In the third round, it's the big catch-up round. I say it's the bike round because most of the time I remember it being a bike. One person is in a bike and they're pedaling and they have to reach a certain limit, like 20 miles an hour. But if their their partner who's in the sidecar gets a question wrong, the penalty is they must go up three more miles per hour. Uh, otherwise, they don't get another question. So they have to to earn the next question. They have to just start pedaling, 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 pedaling. pedaling. 
uh, until the next questions were in. Now, to make things even funnier, it's the big book of dumb jokes, which means it's mostly riddles, children's jokes, knock-knock jokes, and you have to fill in the punchline, which I always love as a quiz concept because it's just lateral thinking logic puzzles. But because you had to memorize all these bad jokes, it's just sort of annoying. Uh... Whoever wins this episode gets $1,000 and goes on to the bonus round where they get a little bit of sleep for right now. The losing team, however, gets $500 and they also get uh, some water. And they say, thanks for participating. Uh, so that's what I always remember it being, was a, a bike race. But from diehard fans of Cram and maybe I missed every one of these episodes, they had things like the, uh, the, what was it, the, the, one of those ore things, those kayak things that, you know, rich Ivy League people do. So they had to move an ore a certain amount of miles per hour. Uh, another one is they had to run on a treadmill, which would be really dangerous. <clears throat> uh, third, which I don't know why you would do this, maybe because of distraction, maybe, they would have to drink lemon juice. And there would be a little person just going, eh, drink! And I don't know what the fuck or why that is necessary, unless it's just because college is college, college age hazing, I guess. I don't fucking know. But whoever wins the $1,000 will get to go to the sleepy round where they get to be tucked in at night, uh, have a blindfold on, and get the comforting words of Miss Pickwick, the resonant sleep therapist, who's an actress. She then reads new facts, which are completely fake, uh, to the contestants. So it's like, Bill Clinton's the first president to ever eat a ham and cheese sandwich. The first mini golf was created in Scotland. You're getting very sleepy. Stone Cold Steve Austin has the human temperature of minus five degrees. And it just keeps going from there of just like very soft-spoken, dumb, fake facts. And it keeps going while the lights are dim. You're hearing like slumber time music. And then... There's no break in the production. She's still reading facts for about two or three minutes. When they come back from break, she's still reading, giving facts. But we cut to Graham, who's like sitting right at the camera looking, going, we're about to come back to Graham. In a few seconds, an alarm will go off, and they have to run over to this teeter-totter. If they ever put a foot on the floor, I have to stop and read the question again. If they get a question right, they go up a ladder. If they get a question wrong, they go down a ladder. If they can make it to five levels, they win $10,000. <clears throat> so essentially get five, eight questions right in a row. And then suddenly, and they start screaming, go, 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 go. And then they start running, and then hard techno music starts playing. And as they try to catch their balance on a teeter-totter 
or a log or like a balance beam or it's like a really tiny thing and they have to like hold each other. He basically starts trying to read the questions. So it's what, what is, what is, what is, what, 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 what is, what is, what is the body, what is the body? And you can interrupt Graham and answer the question if you want to. Uh, if you kind of get a hint, negative five, ding. Who, 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 who is, who is the first, 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 who is the first actor to land on the moon? And just keeps going from there. And of course, because they hiccup, they go back down and they don't win. It, it, it doesn't happen. But A, if they fail, they don't get $10,000, but they get $100 for each level that they go up. So if they went to level two, they got $200 more, making it $1,200. Uh, and they still get a amazing uh, little like prize of, I think, a hot chocolate, a hot coffee. And I think they get like a sleep set as like a, a funny little thing. Um, so it's okay. Uh, it, it was sort of funny to see them wake up and have to do the challenge. It's a sleep-based game show. <sighs> that's it. That's, that's Cram. My thoughts about Cram is it definitely was a college-age style game show, which Game Show Network really wanted at the time. However, there really isn't anything interesting to take note for. Some people are really fond with it because maybe they have a likeness of the all-night study sessions or just the silly nature of the challenges and the content that was in the quizzes. But essentially, it ended after two seasons. Season one, I think it was more playful with its games because of the dishes, because of the set dressing and this. Season two, it seems like they were trying to egg more into the cruelty of these people haven't slept yet, so they eventually have a contestant having a meltdown on air. Uh, and eventually, I'm sure that would happen, or if it did happen on air, they definitely edited out. This was also one of the early game shows that I could think of that had what I consider Game Show Network minimum, the $1,000 for winning the game, playing for $10,000 at the end. That's it. Good soundtrack, though. Cool set. Graham is good. But just in terms of just, like, the physical challenges and the bizarreness of people drinking lemon juice, it makes no sense. And it doesn't really add to the show, especially when I think the whole thing was physical challenges, not gross out. The last piece of news I would like to talk about this week is it's a mini-review, but not really. Uh, the game show show has come to an end this week. Did you like it? Did you enjoy the the game show show? I I, I, I I will tell you, some of the episodes I liked, some I did not. I really wish they had more of the storytelling elements of these game shows that I've been talking about here with this podcast for a few years. Um, but they got, like, Adam and Christian, so it's all good. Shelly Herman is a, a very delightful uh, guest. Um... But I don't know if I want a season two of that, to be honest. I think it's good as, like, a padding. I wish they would do more of that kind of format with, like, other pop culture means, like horror movies or romantic comedies or something like that. It feels like that's a good gateway to getting to another one of those. Um, 
But I'm still just sad that, you know, you make a podcast for a few years and they don't even give you a call. Come on. Uh, no, but actually, it's really good. Uh, so do check out. The funniest thing about this is that they put it on now after the prank panel. They had a special episode of the prank panel. So it's very awkward seeing Derek Beckles from TV Carnage play like a valet driver on a prank. And then, like, 20 minutes later go, yeah, the gum show is really fucked up. Like, it's just so funny to me. <laughs> because Derek Beckles is one of my favorite uh, current entertainers in Hollywood. Very funny writer. I love TV Carnage. So it, it was great to see him, like, in two hours of television on ABC this week. Um, but he's not a friend, and he's definitely not a foe. But in this final game show, we're going to be talking about a delightful little short-lived quiz game called Friend or Foe. One of the most popular game shows to come out of the quote-unquote GSN Renaissance era of the early 2000s was a little show called Friend or Foe. Friend or Foe is basically a Prisoner's Dilemma game show. That's it. Uh, there's Prisoner's Dilemma in a lot of game shows. Uh, for instance, Golden Balls has a Prisoner's Dilemma concept. Additionally, that split or steal concept will be made in Bachelor in Paradise and Love Island in terms of a romantic team-building exercise. The split or steal mechanic would also end up showing up in a pilot such as Do You Trust Me? hosted by Tucker Carlson. That went nowhere. But one of the most popular ones that I remember, besides Golden Balls, was also Shafted, an Australian game show that was also in Britain that was a big money concept. But we're not talking about Shifted today, or Shafted. I'm not editing this shit out. We're talking about Friend or Foe. Prisoner's Dilemma is a game concept. Originally, the concept is, if you squeal on your opponent, then you get freedom. If they squeal on you, they get freedom. If you both don't squeal, you both serve your sentence. But if you both squeal at each other, then your sentences is extended, making the punishment even worse. So the idea was supposed to be, what do you choose between A and B? And that would also end up being a big concept in one of those zero escape games. I think zero time dilemma. I think it's that one. It's the second one that uh, has the Prisoner's Dilemma be a big old challenge. Anyway, uh, in terms of friend or foe, it's a classic type of Prisoner's Dilemma, which I call half or same. Essentially, the main core concept of friend or foe, which we'll get to the whole trivia concept in a little bit, is that when you're at the end, the trust box, you have two options. Friend or foe. If one chooses friend and the other chooses friend, you each split the pot 50-50. You get half the bank. However, if one chooses to betray the other and picks foe, friend gets nothing and foe gets all of it. But... If greed becomes the option and both pick foe, then you both leave empty-handed. And there's lots of debates in terms of game theory over this, because theoretically, a, a friend or foe decision is really, 
hear me out here, 50-50 chance on half or nothing or all or nothing. So when it comes to this sort of prize money split concept, it, it becomes a bit of a challenge in terms of ethical behavior in addition to prize money behavior. Because if you're going by that go big or go home attitude, then the right decision is to always pick foe because you always have a 50-50 chance of getting everything or getting nothing. Versus when you pick friend, you either end up losing half the money or gaining just half. It's all about the minutia of the other person also getting half the money. Is it worth it or not? Uh, that's essentially the game. <clears throat> they repeat that three times in the course of an episode. So, when the show begins, which I think is very clever, we are introduced to three quote-unquote strangers and a fun detail about them. But then the host, Kennedy, famous on MTV for politics, and now famed uh, libertarian uh, pundit on Fox Business, I think. Unless by the time this episode airs, when she gets fired or goes to Fox News or something, uh, goes on to give some mischievous details about the contestants. Oh, they once dined and dashed. Oh, they once stole a friend's car and dented it without telling him. Oh, they once wore a dress. Ooh. It's these sort of lame provocateur things that are supposed to make you go, oh, I shouldn't trust this person. But then the three other strangers are introduced, and in sight unseen, they all must make a secret vote for who they want as their team member. Much like on Shark Tank, if more than one person is chosen by a player, then it flips over to that person and they get to pick their partner. If it's a solo person picking the person, then they already are a team. And that's how you create your teams of three on friend or foe because they're all total strangers. So now we have three teams going into these question boxes. I will say, though, as a set piece... It's really clever because it's very industrialized, very chains and, and a lot, I think, soundproofing, all things considered, where they are far distance from each other so they can't really hear what the other teams are saying, but still close enough that because they are a team, they could collaborate and chat with one another over the questions. The way the game works is there is a slime, there's a bed of questions, I think five per round where the object is to simply put, get the answers right. The catch is to lock in an answer, you can't just simply lock in on an answer. You and your partner both have to agree on the correct answer and that locks it in. So if one picks A, the other picks C, you then have to start bantering real quick over what the correct answer is or else time runs out. That makes for a lot of dramatic parts of the game, but also the only interesting part of the quiz game. But this goes on very, very quickly. Once the quiz round ends, whoever has the lowest score is eliminated from the game. They take their money and go to the trust box for the first quote-unquote friend or foe decision. 
Because it's the first round, it's I think $500 a question, so $2,500 is the top price. But assume that they fucked up and they don't really win that much, it's like $500. So let me actually, because I didn't actually look this up, see what the first round values were on friend or foe. I, I always assumed it was $500 and then $1,000 if I was right. Uh, oh, everyone starts out with $200 uh, in season one, and then that just becomes a consolation prize if they lose in round one. All right, that makes sense. Thank God they got rid of the $200 default and just made that a consolation prize. <clears throat> um, all right, so uh, Kennedy asks a series of four multiple-choice questions with four choices. They have 15 seconds to agree. 500 bucks in the trust fund, 1000 or two. I was right. I know this show. Okay, good. There's no penalty for wrong answers or failing to respond in time. They just don't get the money. And then the whoever is eliminated round one and two go to the trust box. Exactly. All right. <clears throat> so now let's keep going. Uh, so once they have their low value, which is either 500 bucks or 1,000, we'll assume 200 bucks, uh, then they have to play friend or foe for $1,000. We'll say 1000 Again, it's friend or foe. So if one picks friend, the other chooses foe. Foe gets the 1000 Friend gets nothing. If they both pick foe, they both don't get any money. But if they both pick friend, they both split and they each get 500 bucks. So that becomes a little decision. They get to talk a little bit. Hey, I want to do this. Kennedy starts playing a little bit of jokey answers. Let's play friend or foe. Hit your hands in the trust box and choose friend or foe. Do 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 do. And then they go through this really cool guitar strum and they then show it and then they either leave as friends and they start hugging and high fiving, or one chooses foe, the other chooses friend. You see that facial reaction. They both pick foe and they both start laughing. Uh, anyway, in round two, there's two teams left, and it's $1,000 for each of the five questions, which means that now they are playing for up to $5,000. Yay! And just like it, because the values are double, whoever has the lowest score at the end of this round is eliminated. And that team of two then goes on to the trust box, where we assume they made more than 500 bucks. So we'll say they made $3,000, which is still okay. And they play friend or foe. And they play again. Which leaves one team left. And assuming they made more money than the other team, they're already at $6,000. They get to play the right or wrong game. Right or wrong is one of my favorite bonus rounds because essentially it's a classic 10 right in 60 second challenge. But this time it's an AB game. It's all 50-50s, so it's very fast. For each correct answer that they get is an extra 500 bucks. But if they're wrong, they get a strike. Three strikes ends the round, but they get whatever money they have. However... If they get 10 questions right in 60 seconds, in addition to the extra $5,000 that they pocket, they actually end up getting their money doubled, which means if they play a perfect game 
and that's the 2,500 in round one, the 5,000 in round two, and the 5,000 here. And then I believe they get 25,000? 25, 25 to 10,000, Yeah, I think the idea is supposed to get 25,000, if I'm not mistaken. But I'm sure it's like 22,000 or something because it's very weird with their questions and the $200. Uh, and then they get to go to the trust box for the final friend or foe with $20,000 or so if they actually play correctly. But if not, 500 per correct answer. They got six right. That's 3,000 plus what they made. It's $8,000. And then they go into the trust box. And they have to play again. Uh, but that makes for a much more interesting game concept. To me, that's what I really did enjoy about a uh, friend or foe was the incre increased money in the rounds leading to friend or foes because anyone who's ever shown uh, the prisoner's dilemma knows when it's low values lower stakes happen which means it's more likely they will either split or steal i forgot what it was i saw that on brain games and then when it gets to the higher and higher stakes then it becomes more pressurized that you don't really want to screw somebody over um, so it becomes more likely you friend. Uh, that's what I think is really enjoyable about friend or foe. I think it is one of the single-handedly that one of the best game shows that GSN has had because it's a simple concept, a prisoner's dilemma, a simple quiz concept, and just a simple split or steal decision played three times, which adds stakes to the game. To me, it is one of the better game shows that came out of the GSN Renaissance and one that is fondly remembered as such. When season two rolled around, I think they just randomly assigned the teams at the beginning and not did the vote because that's a little better. But they also changed the setup a little bit and they had more graphic packages. But man, Friend or Foe is just a, a classic little game show. The one thing I remember the most about Friend or Foe is the theme song that when you hear that do, 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 trust me. Do, 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 do. I love that part because there's a lot of it, it's that little spy, a little like you don't really know confusing, but it works because you have this like face that's smiling and confused and it, it's just a nice little show. Additionally, Kennedy was a really good host because she was playing her MTV kind of persona. She hasn't really nailed the Il Ocasio-Cortez, yeah, communist libertarian standpoint. She was playing more of her MTV jokey comedian thing, which was always her personality on MTV when it came to politics. And it was more of a, she's just being flirty to contestants and then being silly with contestants and just making sure every contestant had a relationship with Kennedy in a way that made it very fun. Uh, additionally, when it came to the friend or foe thing, and then she would look over, she would use the kind of that fun fact that, uh, of the oh no um, to, to uh, make it worse, like, he stole a friend's car. Does that mean he's going to steal your money? And she used to uh, 
take all she used to take the quarters away from kids at the arcade so you know she's not afraid to take some change away from a stranger what are you gonna do friend or foe it's time to enter the truffle box do 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 to me that was always fun to me friend or foe remains one of the iconic game show network originals but unfortunately only lasted two seasons so even though it's so fondly remembered it only really had a hundred episodes or so which tells you that sometimes a game show, even if it only lasts two seasons, even if it's been in cable in the 2000s, could still have a lasting impact. To me, it just sort of just died most likely because maybe that brief rule change, maybe they, they were trying to figure out what to do with Game Show Network Originals, or maybe just something about Kennedy not wanting to do a season three. I never really know the full story of why the show never returned but for me i think it is sincerely one of the better game shows to have come out and that's why i think friend or foe is one of the the best in terms of the game show network shows the values are different you had a strategy there's stakes up at the game even if it's relatively low so no two games are ever really alike no two prisoners dilemmas are ever really alike and even though we were still in the middle of this 2000s, it's okay, anti-hero villain angle, they also weren't afraid to kind of say, hey, it's better to be picking friend in this case. But as we all know, in the case of a producer, it's better for you to pick foe, because if you both pick foe, then you both get no money. So it's better for the producer because they don't have to make the payout. So sometimes that's why they were egging people to pick foe. And that is friend or foe. And that is it for today's episode. Again, it's very short because we only have like maybe 10, 20 minutes to talk about each of these game shows. It's not really a full hour, hour and a half. Uh, so I always apologize to that because maybe one of these four are one of your favorite game shows and I just don't really have the time to talk about them. Again, I apologize, but there's so many more game shows left to talk about, but just not that much interest for me to really discuss it other than maybe just a few fun things here and there. So if you like what we've done today with these four little game shows and little tidbits here and there, then please let me know over on my Discord. I'm always available at patreon.com slash Haas, where you can see some archived episodes that are going out every Monday here on the feed. And we will see you again soon for four more GSN Originals and hopefully another great game show, I suppose. This is Jordan Haas, signing off. Big smooch. Ma.